Welcome back to In The Spotlight. And today I'm so excited to welcome the king of podcasts. I think if you are in the world of podcasts, then you will definitely know who Rob Moore is. Rob is the reason why I started a podcast. I listened to him one day talking about it and I thought, well, why not? But for those who don't know Rob, Rob is an entrepreneur, property investor and educator. He's the author of 18 books, including Money and Opportunity, of which five are UK bestsellers. He is a business podcaster. He's um, a podcast this disruptive entrepreneur, which I listen to quite a lot, has almost a thousand episodes, as well as around 300 episodes on money. He holds three world records for public speaking. He's the co-founder of Progressive Success and Progressive Property. And obviously the Progressive Podcast Agency, of which I am a member of, and the founder of the Rob Moore Foundation. Sorry, Rob, that is a mouthful, but just want to say thank you so much for making the time to speak to me today. It is an absolute privilege to have you on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I got to know you from listening to you on Clubhouse a lot during the lockdown period. I was very interested in property. So I followed a few people in the UK on property investment and got to hear you speak a lot. And then one weekend, I listened to you talking um, about podcasts. And I thought, well, I always wanted to have a blog. And this was like almost like having a blog, but talking. My podcast is all about inspirational, interesting things that people have done. And I've heard you tell your story probably about twice or three times. And that's what I would love for you to share with us today, because I think you have this wonderful life story of somebody who, who made a success and who followed a dream and a passion. On December the 15th, 2005, um, I was working in my dad's pub and I would pull the pints and surf and run the bar. My sister would run the whole pub restaurant and car, do the carving and my mum was the chef doing the cooking. And it had been like this for maybe four years. And rewind back about 20 years, and that was when my dad first got me working for him in his pub, restocking the shelves, emptying the slot machines and the pool tables and counting the money and... And he used to pay me a pound a week for doing that. And I loved doing that. I loved doing that more than I loved going to school. I, I didn't really like school as a kid. Um, and I always just wanted to be like my dad from a very young age where I, he always had a lot of cash in his pocket and he'd, he'd buy and sell a lot of things in cash and he'd buy and sell lots of pubs and bars and clubs and restaurants. And I didn't know what the word entrepreneur meant and probably until I was like 26, but he was, is one. But you go to school, you do your exams, you get interested in girls, you go to college, you go to university, you socialize, you drink, and all of a sudden, I am nearly 26. It's December the 15th, 2005. I'm in my dad's pub. I'm 50 grand in debt. Uh, car loans and credit cards that I couldn't even just keep the interest at the level, let alone pay it off. And 
no prospects, quite a negative person, very bitter, felt like anyone who was successful was either lucky or got given all the money by their parents. And I was, I was not lucky. It was hard for me. They must screw people over to be successful. Life's not fair. What have I done wrong? Why don't I have more? And then at about one o'clock, it was at least zero degrees outside. And my dad was carving for a customer in a pub full of people. And he just had a massive nervous breakdown out of nowhere. Started shaking and convulsing and like, you know, when people faint or pass out and their eyes roll around the back of their head, that happened, even though he was still stood up. And I managed to get him out of the front of the pub because it was clear something was very wrong with him. But I couldn't get through to him. He was just locked out, almost like he was possessed. Um, two policemen turned up within a few minutes. One looked about 19 years old and they beat him up and they wrestled him to the floor and they tied him up. They put him in the police van, a reinforced police van. They drove him to Ward 5, which is the mental ward of the local hospital. He was sectioned and diagnosed with bipolar. And for months, he was mostly in and occasionally out of hospital. And this was, what, 16 years ago? And ever since then, it's been a really hard time with my dad's mental health. Um, and for a week or two after that, I really hated myself um, and beat myself up to a pulp and blamed myself. I mean, my dad had put me through school, university, helped me buy my first car, helped me buy my first house. And I was still dependent on him, having to work in his pub to just stay afloat. But then after a, a couple of weeks of hating myself and locking myself away and um, I went to this property meeting because various people over the years had told me I should get into property like they did you. Mm. But I was just like, well, I can't afford it. It's too expensive. It's not, it's not unfair for first time buyers. You know, I'm not a yuppie. I'm not, I'm not a business person. I hate business people. And then you know, there was just a million excuses and reasons going around my head. But this time, I suppose I was susceptible, stroke maybe even desperate, stroke maybe therefore a bit more open-minded. Mm -hmm. So I went to this meeting and I hated every minute of it. And I, the speaker was, you know, show off about all the cars he owned and the properties he owned. Ironic <laughs> now that some people <laughs> probably think that about me. And, but I did warm to him after I'd put all my defences down and then at the end of that meeting i met a guy and then i went to see him the next week and he gave me some books to read and i read them and in two week two months i was working with him and in a year we'd set up our own business progressive property and now that business has done more than 150 million and now we have 360 properties and 1250 tenants in our um, property portfolio so things are very different now and yeah, I mean, I always wanted my dad to be proud of me. 
Um, I remember, you know, people sometimes say, Rob, you know, what are your greatest achievements? And, you know, I have given away millions to charity and my foundation. And like you said, I've written 18 books, which, you know, is not an easy thing for most people to do. Um, I have a lot of cars and a lot of houses, but I think the most proud achievement of mine was when I gave my mum and dad my house. And then every sort of two or three years, I buy them a new car. Um, so I definitely wanted to make my dad proud. I mean, I think I'm sort of over that now because my dad's 79 and I, yeah. I had a chat with him day before yesterday and you know, probably for the one for one the first time in my life I felt like this is me this is who I am this is Rob Moore not this is Rob trying to be a prove to his dad that he's a a worthy son and I was telling him about you know our business journey over the last few months and the business has done really well um I just got paid £800,000 yesterday. That's not a bad payday. And most people wouldn't have that payday in, in 20 years. Mm. So I think maybe this might be a little moment. It might officially have happened on your podcast, whereby I don't feel like I need to prove to my dad anything anymore or feel like I need to make him proud. But that was a driver for many years um, and probably what um, got me through those darker times and kept going when things got hard because I've smashed through one one massive recession, one massive lockdown and actually come out of it, not just survived, but bigger because mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely there's some things that drive me there. I mean, the biggest thing that's driven me my whole life is um, I was the fattest kid in my year at school for three years straight um, from age 11 to 13. And I hated it so fucking much. And I cried every weekend when I was at school and I felt so fucking lonely, I couldn't even tell you. Um, but, you know, living in a pub, you've got Coca-Cola on tap, you've got bags of salt and vinegar crisps. <laughs> by, that my dad used to go to cash and carry and buy them in big boxes. Yeah. And my mum and dad didn't know and I didn't know about food. And so I just got fat because I just ate shit and I, I didn't know. And then you get addicted to those things and you know that now, but I didn't know that then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I hated myself. Um, every part of me I hated. And um, I lost the weight when I was 13 because I begged my dad to get me to leave the school because I felt I was being bullied so much and I hated being the fat kid. And my plan was, the good thing about private schools is you have eight or nine weeks summer holidays. Hmm. My plan was beg my dad to get me to leave this school. I couldn't give a shit what new school it was, just a new school. And then I've got nine weeks. And I lost three stone in nine weeks, which when you're wow. 13 is probably not healthy. Yeah. I didn't care. And I went to, and then, I mean, it was transformational for me because no one teased me. Everyone included me. People liked me. They respected me. Um, girls were interested in me, which I hadn't seen before. Um, but all a lot of that baggage and that need to be appreciated, respected, admired, noticed, listened to, seen, that never went away. I'm 43 now. That's 30 years later. I don't know if it's gone away still. I think it's still there driving me forward.
except for these things that were driving you, is there anybody who was your inspiration, if you would say? Um, definitely my dad for most of my growing up life. I was also shit scared of my dad <laughs> like on another level. I've never loved, admired, respected, and been so scared of one human being <laughs> as, I, as I was my dad. Um, well, up until the age of 26, I was just jealous of anyone who was successful or I was envious or scathing and gossipy because probably secretly I wanted to be successful like my dad had tried to raise me to be, but, you know, I'd sold my life out, if you like. So for, for that long, it was no one except my dad. And then once I got into business and I started my first company in 2007, you know, I studied all the entrepreneurs who were the most successful in the world back then that everyone was talking about, like Bill Gates and mm -hmm. Steve Jobs and Richard Branson. You know, these were the big ones then. And mm -hmm. I never met them, but I was definitely inspired by what seemed like they could start from scratch and build something vast and meaningful. Um, I'm very inspired by Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's been a multidisciplined successful person in many areas. I really admire Elon Musk because I think he's bold and brave and quirky and contrarian. Um, Dr. John Demartini's helped me a lot mm -hmm. on a personal and level of wisdom and understanding of myself probably more than anyone else um i think you can be inspired by anyone um and i try and see something in everyone that i could learn from or i could admire mm. and i don't really anymore put people up on pedestals because the problem is the further they put you put them up, the further you put yourself down compared to where they are up. Mm, mm. So I've sort of stopped doing that. Um, I try and look at us all relatively equally. And we've all got things that we're great at and we've all got things that we're, we're a master and a disaster in multiple <laughs> areas of our lives. And, and so you know, at the moment, I mean, I know this will timestamp this episode, but I want to say it, but um, the parents of those three boys who died in that lake, I mean, that's just so sad because those boys were between eight and 11 and my kids are between eight and 11. Mm -hmm. Mine and, almost as well. Mm. And they were just playing. They were just playing. Yeah. And if you're the parent of one of those kids, how could anything be more unfair than that? But, you know, they're going to speak publicly and they're going to move on from that and get over that. And maybe they're going to use that pain and do some good with that. That really inspires me as well as, yeah. you know, heroic accomplishments from successful people. Yeah. Um, someone just got executed and hung publicly um all right you know I, I don't know i just think the family that's got to watch their son be hanged publicly and yet will be dignified 
or the entrepreneur that's really lonely. They're a single parent. They're hustling in their business. It's hard to make sales. They're looking after the kids, doing social media, doing their books, looking after the clients, and they're juggling all that shit, and they're barely making ends meet. Mm. But they just carry on going every day, enthusiastic and passionate. You know, and in the end, they make it. That really inspires me. So I'm actually easily inspired, but I don't really deitize or heroize so much anymore. You have interviewed over a thousand people, well, almost probably, because you have more than a thousand episodes in your two podcasts. Um, is there anybody who you would say, that is so many, but who has really been very inspiring from the ones, or somebody who stands out? I get asked this a lot, and I find it really hard to answer. Um, so probably my favorite to interview in a very sadistic way was Chris Eubank, because mm -hmm. he was the hardest, most combative, most awkward, most aggressive. And I felt like I was in the ring with him and I went 12 rounds with him and I stayed on my feet. <laughs> so I really feel, felt like I grew as an in interviewer through that journey. Um, I've interviewed 20 billionaires and I've learned something very practical from all of those and stayed in touch with some of those. Um, there's a chap I interviewed called Craig Harrison. I listened to that. He holds the world record for the longest sniper kill and he's just absolutely broken with chronic PTSD, but he's still putting himself out there on these big shows like mine, the disruptive disruptors and also he went on lad bible and just breaking down over and over with all the trauma and the horrific things he's experienced in his life but he's still battling every day and that was definitely a moving episode i interviewed andrew tate who's probably the most famous person on the planet right now and um i had a lot of feedback that 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 was the best interview of him that's been done. Certainly let him talk more than a lot of people. Um, Jordan Peterson was, I think we got him. He was big, but just before he peaked or got wildly, massively popular, which I'm quite pleased about. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I so could many. listen. Here's the thing as well. I, <laughs> I usually only remember the last 10. Yeah, I was going to say, because there's so many. I can't remember them going back <laughs> years. I mean, yeah. yeah. But there's definitely so many to go and listen to. So people can definitely mm. go on to the disruptors. And um, it's like a whole library. It's like a hall of fame. A podcast yeah. of fame that you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you should choose fame or money, which would you say do you think is the most important to have? The um, it depends on the amount. So um, if you said global fame or a million pounds, I'd probably say global fame. Here's why. Because mm. with global fame, I could make at least 100 million pounds, if not 500 million pounds. And a million pounds isn't enough for me. But if you said 
100 million pounds or global fame, even though I could make 500 million pounds with global fame, I'd probably take 100 million pounds because I actually know there'd be massive downsides of global fame. Mm. Um, so the only reason I would take fame is if I could monetize it and use exactly. it for business because, you know, I'm not globally famous, but I get recognized everywhere I go two, three, four times every time I leave the house. And I, I feel really privileged about that, but I know if it was 10 times every time I leave, it would, mm. it would be quite hard. And I know people who, you know, I've walked down the street with people who get stopped by every other person mm. and it is intense. Mm. So, yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I've listened to some of you. I think children is very close to your heart. I want to talk about your charity a little bit, your foundation. Um, I've seen some of the videos of you and your kids, um, where your kids recite all these, um, can I call it rhymes or, you know, all these sayings that you have. And I actually thought I need to go and start writing it down that I can teach my kids, you know, all of these things. Um, what is the most inspire, inspirational thing that you want to, or the legacy that you would love to leave for your children and the legacy that you would leave to la um, like to leave in your life? So, um, I think there's different levels when you're raising kids. So level one is hopefully when they grow up, they don't hate you stroke. You haven't fucked them up. <laughs> Because I, know. Yeah. I actually think it's relatively easy to do that and relatively mm. hard not to. Mm. So, you know, if I have a pair of well-balanced, adjusted children who are useful to society and I haven't messed them up and they love me, you know, I'd take that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd like to think I can do more for them, but I would take that because there's so many variables in life that can just come along and, and screw that up. Yeah. Um, the next level is I want my kids to be equipped to deal with a difficult and violent and brutal world because a lot of people in our current era are raising very weak and brittle and entitled children and they're not even doing it on purpose yeah. and we have somewhat an entitled even somewhat woke large segment of society which is so focused on what they're entitled to and what their they and their children should have instead of raising and nurturing their children to be independent and self-sufficient. Yeah, I agree. And I have inadvertently created an environment for my children where they are so privileged, it's very difficult for them not to make demands and expectations, mm -hmm. which if they went out of my four walls, they would just get laughed at. So, my next part of the journey will be to, I need to give them some challenge and hardship. I need to give them some strength and fortitude and resilience and resourcefulness and adaptability. 
And then the third level, if I can, create a couple of entrepreneurs and hustlers out of them. But if they weren't entrepreneurs and hustlers, but they were doctors, dentists, or lawyers, or valuable members of society, and that was what they really wanted to do, I'll support them every step of the way. And if people think about Rob Moore one day when you are not on earth anymore, what is the main thing they want you would like to be remembered for? Um, I hope that the one word that they used to say my name when I'm gone was disruptive. Uh, and what I mean by that is not that I built a billion dollar unicorn, but mm. that I challenged people to think mm. in an independent and free way and to call themselves out on their own excuses, justifications and bullshit and actually woke them up to find a path in their life that's right for them that they can contribute meaningfully and get paid handsomely mm. and uh, you know a lot of people when they first see me so you're getting quite a more level subdued sensitive version of myself here with you i'm respectful in the presence of a lady <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> but if you see me on social media you'll get a more abrupt aggressive in your face version yes. of me and you know i like it when people say i didn't really like robert first i thought he was full of it or he was shouty or ranty or whatever but actually what he said really got through and made sense exactly i, I quite right. like that feedback because it means that i'm challenging people's mm -hmm preconditioned thought process so okay. that's how i'd like to be remembered you you do a lot of your rob rants you know the way you talk about a subject and question it and i think that's exactly what you are you know what you what you have been saying now is you know whatever topic is going on in the world on that certain moment you question it you get people to ask the questions you know what do you think about this and i think that's so important another thing i think i know that's close to your heart is the education in schools about money and how we are, we are teaching our children to deal with money and what we are telling, you know, what we are, um, yeah, what, how we are educating them on, you know, things that we say, like money doesn't fall off trees or um, money is the root of all evil. You know, I think those are the things you address so many times. Um, part of that is, so I know you do a lot of work to, to educate not even people, but also children um, about that. And the last thing I want to get to is you you are obviously from where you've come from, have have made a business success and a success financially um, in all these areas we've mentioned. However, you are also giving back so much. You started your um, the Rob Moore Foundation. Can you tell us maybe just a little bit a bit more about that? Yeah, so. The Rob Moore Foundation is to help young, underprivileged and startup entrepreneurs create meaningful businesses that change the world. And myself and my partner gave away £15,000 just a couple of weeks ago to three entrepreneurs who are doing re really meaningful things with um, abused children and um, extra social care housing for, you know, very disadvantaged people. And that makes me feel really good. Just today, I paid someone's 300 pound heating bill. Um, 
and I do a lot of things like that because it feels good and because I can. Um, and a, a lot of that, I, I don't even really talk about it. I just crack on no, and do course. it. I don't mind a bit of bragging about cars and houses because <laughs> that's the story and the lifestyle that maybe inspires other people. I don't want to use any of my charity work for marketing purposes. So I just crack on and do it. And then if it comes out fine. Mm. Um, but you don't do it to be, to be seen or to be, you know, it's, it's just from the bottom of your heart. No, it's, it's not a marketing exercise. Yeah. It's an yeah. exercise of giving back. By the way, it's also a selfish exercise because it makes me feel good inside and worthy and useful. Like I didn't feel when I was young. So mm. it helps me as well as helping other people and you know i think it's the responsibility if there's one thing that maybe people who are against capitalism or entrepreneurs would say is well you know they just make loads of money and they just avoid all this tax and this you know they just take 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 and you know i i don't want to be that kind of person that just does that i pay a lot of taxes Obviously, I try and get my tax bill down what, what entrepreneur wouldn't, but I do pay millions in taxes every year and I try and give away as much as I can. Um, be, and, and I chose young, underprivileged and startup entrepreneurs is because I think to get ourselves out of the upcoming recession or depression and the difficult time we are in the world, I think we need more entrepreneurial people. Um, because, you know, we're, we're not independent with our own energy and entrepreneurs will create energy independence. It's actually just been a breakthrough in energy today, if you look at in, in the news. And that would have been someone entrepreneurial or mm. engineering based, you, you know, that would have made that breakthrough in research. Entrepreneurs build things, employ people, mobilize um, assets and technology and resources. So I think uh, and we need the next generation, you know, who may be more savvy about the planet. Um, and more conscious and aware and uh, sustainable in there. You know, because I bet you when plastic, when that first would have been um, invented, probably quite a breakthrough in science and probably overall you'd see so many benefits to humanity. And obviously we didn't really understand how it would damage the planet because of mm. its, our inability to recycle it. Mm. Well, you know, we're going to have the new plastic, aren't we, that's going to become ubiquitous, which doesn't, hurt all the animals in the ocean, for example. So these kind of entrepreneurs who are entrepreneurial, but they're sustainable and mm. conscious, I think I, I want to fund a lot of these people. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and Rob, I know what your normal quote is, but if there's any other advice or inspiration that you can give to somebody, what would you say? Well, you, you've asked me not to say my quote. If you, you can't say anything, it. You risk everything, so <laughs> I won't say that. Here's what I'll say. I believe there is one single road to success. On that road, there'll be a million distractions. There'll be much advice on better roads or success principles that you could adhere to. But when you boil it down, there is one key success principle. And it is relentless consistency. Mm. And no one I've ever met who's been relentlessly consistent at an endeavor 
has been anything other than amazing at that endeavor. Mm. You know, the runner who's run 100,000 mm. miles is fast at running. The guy in, or girl in the gym that's bench pressed or squatted, you know, a million reps is strong. Um, the entrepreneur that keeps working, the salesperson that keeps selling. So we get distracted by shiny objects and get rich quicks and schemes and scams and everyone else's advice and the easier path. But there's one path and it's straight. And yeah, it's got hurdles on it, but it's straight. And that is your chosen endeavor or your vision and mission. And then you just keep moving forward on that path and you do it anyway. You do it when you're tired, you do it when you're bored, you do it when you're distracted, you do it when you're overwhelmed, you do it when you're scared, you do it when you're lost, you do it when you're confused, you do it, do it well when you're overwhelmed, you do it anyway. You just fucking do it anyway. So that's what I'm going to leave you with. Thank you very much. And if you don't risk anything, you, must, you risk everything. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Rob, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are. Um, absolute privilege, absolute inspiration. Um, thank you for everything you do, all the time you make. And um, looking forward to follow you in the future and listen to many more um, interesting interviews on your podcasts. Thank you so much, Rob. Um, I didn't have a good evening. My pleasure. Thank you.